Today we're looking at the world of employment contracts. Handy given that I've just been off a, another one here at the Dream Factory, for which I'm most grateful. I thought this was going to end. Anyway, you're stuck with me probably for another year, folks. That's the bad news. Uh, now, the good news, Andrew's with us. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> Welcome to the studio. Thank you. Um, the differences between a contractor and being an employee, I guess generally speaking, when we think of working for anyone, we consider ourselves an employee, but there, there, is, a, there is a legal definition of that. That's right, yeah. An employee is somebody who um, is principally providing their labour to somebody else who's running a business. So that's really um, the general law concept of an employee. And of course, that can take many forms. It can be part-time, casual, full-time, and, and contract as such, um, as opposed to independent contractors. So that's really the employee. And on the other side is, is what's commonly referred to as an independent contractor. And that's someone who works in their own business and provides services to other businesses or to other people. So what are the main benefits of being an employee directly? Well, the, there's a number of, uh, well, there's, there's legislation that is really designed to protect employees and, and, um, and make sure that they're provided with, with a safety net and, and um, certain conditions. So there's obviously, I mean, we talked last time about unfair dismissal, so that, that applies to employees, whereas it doesn't apply to independent contractors. Um, there is uh, workplace safety, there's leave entitlements, um, you know, so there's, there's, there's really a raft of, of provisions that, that apply to, to employees if you satisfy that definition. Whereas if you're working as an independent contract, you're effectively running your own business, uh, outsourcing to a particular firm, and you've got a lot more responsibility in terms of managing the company, tax returns, those sort of things. That's right, yeah. So as an, as an independent contractor, if you, are, if you genuinely qualify as one, your relationship with the person that you're providing those services to is is administered by contract law, as just general principles of contract law. So you can really agree on the terms of of that engagement, um, but you are re responsible for running your own business, and you you don't the person that you're providing those services to doesn't have that same level of care or duty of care towards you because you are seen as someone you know independent of their their organisation. Long gone are the days of a job for life, even in an organisation like the ABC or the public service. Increasingly, are we even seeing uh, everyday employees under the legal definition being offered contracts? So it may be a fixed term engagement rather than necessarily ongoing employment. Yeah, that's right. And I think that there's a there can be a little bit of confusion. So you can be an employee and you can just be sort of a general employee sort of at will if you like. So that's sort of an ongoing thing until until it's terminated by the party. And then you can be an employee who has a contract and that can be a fixed term contract or a rolling contract, but you're still an employee. And then we have this other category, which is an independent contractor, where you are not an employee and you're actually, you know, you're out of your own, you're outside the bounds of, of the, the person's business to, to, to whom you're providing those services to. 21 to 5 now on 891 ABC Adelaide Drive with Michael Smith, my guest, our visiting lawyer, Andrew Andreev from Andreev Doman Lawyers. If you've got a question, one 800 or you can shoot me a text, the number as always, 0467 922 I guess in terms of uh, if you have a, a fixed term engagement with a particular firm, is your job any less secure than it is if you're an ongoing employee and the company decides they want to make you redundant anyway? Uh, we, yes, I guess technically it is. During the term of that contract, you've actually got uh, more security because um, you really can't be terminated un unless it's for, for cause during the, that fixed term. Um, so, but at the end of that term, you're really, you know, you're sort of up for renewal. So you're on your own in that sense if it's not renewed and the employer cannot renew that. Whereas if you're an employee at will, so it's just an ongoing arrangement, then, um, you know, provided you've got past the, the um, you know, initial stages of that and you've got a, got a full-time job or a permanent position, 
um, then you need to do something wrong effectively for that um, for that to come to an end. What about that uh, situation where you may be an ongoing employee? The boss says we want to term, change the terms here. I want you to work as a as a contractor, as an independent yep. contractor. Is that a legal thing to do? Can they force you out like that, or or may that suit some people? Um, well, under the, the the Fair Work Act, there's um, I guess it, it's a term that's been called sham contractor arrangements. That's quite pejorative, obviously the term. But what it refers to is is if your employer says to you, look. Um, you know, you are an employee, but we'd like to put you on a contract, so we're going to terminate your employment and you're going to come back on a contract. That's actually um, can be an unfair dismissal unless it's you know done correctly and you 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 fully understand and and want to engage in that. But even if that happens, um, you're probably still an employee. So from the employer's perspective, they might think, well, that's that's great. You're no longer an employee. You're now an independent contractor. I don't have to worry about you know all the superannuation and the PAYG withholding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the law may still and, and almost invariably will see you as an employee at law. So that means that even though the employers now may be paying you more money as an independent contractor, mm. um, at the end of the day, um, you're quite within your rights to come back and say, well, actually, um, I am an employee at law and you haven't done all these things. And then the employer is really um, up, potentially up for a, a double cost in that sense because it, it is a, well, you know, I don't like using the term, but a sham arrangement. It's 18 to 5 on Drive. If you have a question for Andrew, 1300 222 Let's head to Blackwood. Jad's given us a call. Hello, Jad. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Andrew, I think you may have covered it in your earlier comment, but my question was when does a contractor cease to be that and becomes an employee? Uh, and that really comes down to somebody that has been engaged uh, as a contractor but only is, only is providing his service to one company or one individual. Is there a rule of thumb that you should say, well, if they're, if they're dealing with a number of people that they can remain as a contractor, but if they're only dealing with one service, or sorry, providing service to one client, that they then really, uh, as you referred to as a sham contractor agreement? Yeah, that's right. And I think that's a, that's a key issue. And this is really where all the issues arise. Um, that, that borderline between an employee and an independent contractor. And someone might start off as an independent contractor, so someone who's providing services to a number of people and maybe working out of their home or a small office and using their own tools and that sort of thing, and then they get onto a great contract and then that, that starts to move on. And the distinction, unfortunately, in most instances of the law isn't very clear-cut. They refer to these sort of common law or general principles which are set by the cases. But the, the, the two key tests that, that I tend to sort of start with is the integration test and the results test. So if you become integrated with another business, so you attend their meetings, you might work out of their premises a lot, um, they constitute you know, 80% as a good rule of thumb or, or more of your income, um, you might you know, wear their uniform, have a business card, etc. That's when you're, you're really passing or failing, depending on how you see it, the integration test and you'd be, you start to be an employee. The other one is the results test, and that is basically, are you responsible for the result of your activity? In the sense of if it went wrong, are you, are you, would you need to have recourse to your insurance, um, or do you have to come back and fix it? Um, are you given a fixed fee to produce the result? So, you know, I'd like you to you know, lay all these pavers and, and um, get the fee's $1,000, and I don't care how long it takes, um, versus I'm going to pay you, you know, 40 bucks an hour, and you need to come in, and, and I'll keep paying you until the job's done. So... They're really the two high-level tests for that to try and get this distinction. And then there's another, there's sort of a, a whole raft of other ones, you know, um, you know, risk and control and all these things. But really, they're all proxies for integration and results. Chad, thank you for your call. To Para Hills now, uh, John, you've got a question about... Well, basically, I think something else that needs to be pointed out, because it happened to me twice during my working life, 
um, you were as an employee of the company, and then suddenly you get an approach which says, we're going to make you a junior executive, in which doing so you get no more pay, but you lose, you lose the privileges of getting overtime pay, you're expected to work extra hours, etc., but you do not get any pay rises. Mm. And um, they say this is because now you're a junior executive, um, you don't come under the Work Act. Now, I don't know if that has been changed since, but that happened to me twice during my life. John, thank you. Yeah, um, I think it has been changed to to some extent. Um, obviously, the changing of it, you need to have a genuine change in the nature of what you're required to do, and that usually comes with with an increase in pay, which might take you outside the scope of of an award or or, or the um, uh, the Fair Work Act um, principles. So, um, but if it's just uh, we're going to change your title and you're going to um, keep doing what you're doing, and we're not going to pay you any more money. Um, but we're going to take away all these benefits. That's clearly something that um, is is prohibited and, and um, would be either seen as constructive dismissal if you left because of that, uh, or certainly would, you'd have recourse later down the track to um, to get compensated. It's a quarter to five now on Drive. My guest in the studio, our visiting lawyer, Andrew Andrea from Andrea Doman Lawyers. One last question before we let you go, Andrew, from Julie at Unley. Hello, Julie. tricky question um, it, um, it, it the the requirements of the employer are such that it it no longer uh, matches the the, the the employment contract that you've got or the terms on which you're employed then um, there is some scope I guess on the part of the employer to say that um, you know that the, the arrangements not working out um, if it um, as it sounds what you've indicated where it's the, the proportion there's not a proportionate increase in pay etc I think you're starting to get into the the realms of um, uh, you know what's not allowed, and, and once again, if you were um, you know, looking to say that that wasn't acceptable and that you were terminated in those circumstances, that um, you know there would be grounds certainly to look at that constituting constructive dismissal. Andrew, thanks again for coming, and we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.